In the height of my awkwardness, regrettably, my parents decided to move me to a new school in the 10th grade. It was a complete disaster. We were living in the Holiday Inn down the road from the school, and I didn't know a soul. I hadn't even seen the house we were supposed to move into. So here I am living with my mom and dad in the Holiday Inn off the causeway, in a strange state, in a strange town, and hating every minute of it. They'd taken me away from everything I knew and loved. I knew I would never see the birds and trees and lakes and fields and woods that had become my friends ever again. I would never be able to go into my bedroom ever again. I would never be able to play pool in my basement again. I would never be able to walk my dog or go cross-country skiing in the woods or play hockey on the lake or go fishing or boating or rafting or snorkeling or diving ever again. I would never hear the crickets that had become my friends, or smell the air that had given me so much life and energy. I would never see the single prop planes doing their acrobatics over my backyard as I stared up at the sky in wonderment. I would never see the hot air balloons floating at sunset above my house ever again. It was with this heartache that we moved to the suburbs of Cleveland in the most awkward and insecure and difficult moment of my development. The first day of school was a complete disaster. I remember talking to my grandparents on the phone, and they tried to sound cheerful, but the butterflies in my stomach sounded another tune. Two days before school, my parents and I met with the admin staff at the school, and they were supposedly putting together my schedule. I was so anxious, a complete nervous wreck. They assured me everything would be just fine. In retrospect, it's insane that they never even gave me a tour of the building. I had no idea where anything was or even the general layout of the school. And it didn't help that I had no sense of direction back then. A simple map would have helped. But they couldn't wait to get rid of us from the office. So they told me to come back the morning of first day of school and look on the cork board and there I would find my homeroom. Then, I should go to the homeroom, and there they would give me my schedule, supposedly. So the first day of school, my mom drove me from the Holiday Inn to the school in a strange town where I knew nobody. To say I was anxious and felt awkward is a great understatement. I was a complete nervous wreck and felt sick to my stomach. Since I was only 15 and a new kid, I felt even more awkward that my mom was pulling up in the school and was afraid everyone was going to make fun of me. But since we didn't live anywhere where there was a bus to pick me up, I had no choice. So I ran to the bulletin board with sweaty palms and heart racing to find my name so that I could find my homeroom. To my great horror, my name wasn't on the bulletin board. I hadn't even been assigned a homeroom. I hadn't been assigned anything. I went to the principal's office and they told me my name has to be on the board. They laughed at me and made me feel like an idiot, implying I just didn't know what I was doing and couldn't even find my own name alphabetically listed on a board. Then they went out to the board and confirmed my name wasn't there. They went into the computer system and realized 
Nobody had bothered to assign me a homeroom or even a schedule. So as the clock ticked and as the bell was getting ready to ring, they haphazardly put together my schedule and handed it to me and told me which room to go to. But the bell had already rung. I didn't know which way to go. I ran around like in a bad dream, nervously trying to find this mysterious homeroom where I was supposedly supposed to have been five minutes before. Imagine my horror when I went up to the homeroom door and it was closed. And I had to knock and explain why I was the one idiot who couldn't find the homeroom in time before the bell rang. The homeroom teacher opened the door and said, What do you want? The class erupted in laughter. I said, This is my homeroom. She said, No, it's not. You have the wrong classroom. The class erupted in further laughter. I explained that no one had bothered to give me a schedule and that it had only been handed to me a few minutes before and that the admin assured me that this was my classroom. Fortunately, there was one seat left, but the nightmare had just begun. This is how it went for the entire day. Back then, Strongsville, Ohio was the richest suburb in Cleveland. The student body was huge, but because the taxpayers in Strongsville were too cheap to fund the school, we were extremely packed like sardines, way beyond capacity. There's no way that this population of students should have been allowed by the fire marshal to inhabit the small school, which the student population had clearly outgrown. During the time between periods when the kids were supposed to go to their next class, it was constant gridlock. You couldn't move. To add to the fun, I was the smallest kid in the entire school of over 500 kids, and I had a, quote, funny accent being a country boy from Michigan. I was scrawny, I had braces, I had glasses, and I had a bad haircut. I didn't even wear the right clothes, and I was insecure as hell. Now, my entire social life had been ripped from me. I had to leave behind friends I had had since preschool. Now I had no friends. I was too late to try out for any sports teams or clubs, and depression began to set in. Back on that first day of school, I went from class to class, not having any idea where the classrooms were, with no map and no understanding of the design of the school, blindly trying to find my classrooms. Each hour, the anxiety would build up, knowing that I was going to end up showing up to another classroom where I would be late, have to knock on the door. be greeted by a sarcastic teacher with kids laughing at me or what an idiot I supposedly was. This happened to me seven more times that day. But the most memorable moment was when I showed up to Mr. G's Spanish class. Once again, I showed up after the bell had rung because I had no idea how to find the place. I knocked on the door butterflies on my stomach, prepared for the onslaught of sarcasm and laughter. Mr. G opened the door and said, what do you want, ha ha ha, as the kids all laughed with him in unison. I explained for the umpteenth time that I had been assigned to the classroom at the last minute and they had only printed out my schedule that morning. He told me I was wrong and asked me if I was stupid. 
I remember some kid in the classroom saying, Dumbass! Ha ha ha. The classroom broke out in laughter. Once Mr. G was convinced, having looked at my schedule, that I was indeed assigned to his classroom, he instructed me to sit down. Unfortunately for me, the seats were arranged in a circle so that not everyone in class could see everyone else. Of course, all I wanted to do was sit in the back corner and hide and be as unnoticeable as possible, but this arrangement could not be had. I had to choose a seat and be stared at by everybody else. Mr. G asked me my name and I told him. People laughed at my name. One jerk yelled out, Eddie Spaghetti, Eddie Spaghetti, and everybody laughed. After that, somehow, for months, my nickname became Eddie Spaghetti. This went on for weeks until I finally couldn't take it anymore and snapped at that kid and said, My name isn't Eddie, it's Dave. I'm sure with the fury of great anger I dissuaded him and everyone else from calling me that. I think it stopped. But anyway, back to Spanish class on day one. I sat in my seat and Mr. G decided that I was the easiest target to start bullying and the joking at my expense started anew. Where are you from? he asked me. Michigan, I said. I hate people from Michigan, he answered. Everybody laughed. What town in Michigan, he asked. Romeo, I answered. Everybody laughed. What kind of a name is Romeo, he sarcastically laughed. Oh, Romeo, oh, Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? He said with dramatic hand gestures as if he were in the Shakespeare play. Everybody laughed. Romeo, we're in every classroom there's a balcony, he said. Everybody laughed. I have to admit that at that moment I fantasized about shooting him. But I'm not proud of the fantasy, but it's all I could think of the rest of the class. The rest of the day continued on with variations on this same horrific theme. My mom and dad came and picked me up in the car and drove me back to the Holiday Inn. We went to the indoor pool before dinner so that I could do something fun before the horror show recommenced the next day. There was steam coming out of my ears. The anger was palpable. I commiserated with my parents about how horrible the place was. I told them how much mistreatment I had suffered and how horrible the Spanish teacher was and how much I hated him already. As I was telling them about this horrible Spanish teacher, I saw a man walk through the door in a swimsuit to start swimming laps at the Holiday Inn pool. To this day, I can't believe it. But it was Mr. G, the Spanish teacher. The guy who I hated so much and was so glad to get away from for a few hours had somehow made it to the local Holiday Inn to swim laps. I couldn't believe it. The town had 50,000 people and was pretty big. What were the odds? Was it a cruelty orchestrated by powerful beings? In retrospect, I think he was just a mooch who showed up to trespass at the local Holiday Inn to swim laps because he didn't want to spend money on a gym membership. I was beyond miserable. We had left a home in a town that I completely loved. I was popular. I had friends. I'd known him since I was three. And I was pretty good at soccer and tennis. I even had a rock band with high school kids. I was considered cool and everybody liked me. Now, I was in a different state living in the suburbs. And I was worse than a nobody. I was a scrawny, short country boy and the butt of everybody's jokes. I was such a nobody that apparently I didn't even deserve to be called by my real name. In gym class, we were given a few basketballs and left to our own devices while the so-called gym teacher sat in the office drinking Irish whiskey and coffee at 7.30 in the morning. 
This guy was drunk every day by 7.30. No exaggeration. He would sit in his so-called office and get drunk and made his class helpers pretend to manage the class. I got this nickname Spuds McKenzie one day because in gym class I could throw baskets. They couldn't believe it. Somebody as small as me could actually shoot baskets. At the time there was a famous player by the name Spud Webb. He was only five foot six and he's one of the best NBA players. He could actually dunk. I couldn't barely touch the netting and couldn't get close to the rim, but this guy could actually dunk. In fact, he was so good at it that he was in a slam dunk contest with Michael Jordan. Anyway, one of the social outcasts started to befriend me and called me Spuds after Spud Webb. That was a great nickname for a few moments, since it was meant to be a compliment. But of course, high school kids have a way of turning everything into something nasty. It wasn't long before people thought my name was Spuds because of the dog Spuds McKenzie from the TV commercials. Spuds McKenzie was the mascot for Bud Light. Suddenly everyone was calling me Spuds McKenzie the dog. Unfortunately, I had to spend two years with this alcoholic style of teaching in gym class. Ironically, this turned out to be a blessing in disguise because I made friends with other social misfits who ended up becoming my friends. So back to how I got the nickname Spuds McKenzie. Back in Romeo, Michigan, basketball was the end-all and be-all activity for manhood. Either you had to be an awesome basketball player or you were a loser. This didn't help since I was half the size of the other giants in my junior high. I actually got okay at Romeo-style basketball. Romeo Junior High basketball extracurricular style had its own set of rules. After lunch, everyone would scarf down their food as quickly as possible and run out to the basketball court inside the gym. I hated this. I was half the size of the other giants, but I was forced to play basketball or I was completely socially stigmatized. Let me explain Romeo Junior High Generation X extracurricular basketball rules. Rule number one, there are no rules. This is a game of complete anarchy. The object of the game is to get the ball and somehow try to make a basket. There was only one rim and it was half court basketball. There were no teams. Your only goal was to get the ball and make a basket. After the ball came back down, it was anybody's grab ball. I'm talking literally 20 to 30 adolescent male maniacs. If you got the ball, you would be punched, kicked, elbowed, kneed, pushed, stomped, or any other maneuver to try to finagle the ball out of your hands. This is a variation of the game of football from elementary school, a similar game of anarchy. In that game, we had several acres of, of open fields. The object was to get the football and hold on to it as long as possible. The longer you held on to the ball, the more of a hero you were. Everybody would punch you, kick you, knee you, elbow you, throw, sit, stomp, or any other maneuver to get the ball out of your hands. There was even a move where all the boys would jump on any poor soul who had the ball and smother the life out of them until they couldn't breathe. Then they would rip the ball away from them, and then the next fool would run for his life with the ball trying to evade the mob. But back to anarchy basketball. This game was the same except rather than trying to hold the ball as long as possible, your only goal was to make a basket. It's hard to do with 20 or 30 boys much bigger than you pushing and kicking you. But I was tough, I guess. I always stood up for myself and had been picked on by bullies older than my age for my whole life, and I always held my own. Plus, I'd studied Taekwondo. I was no stranger to being punched and kicked and wrestled, and I wasn't afraid to go face to face in a fight. These skills translated well in anarchy basketball.
because I knew how to block the punches, and I knew how to hit back. My only hope to make a basket was to do a half-court hook shot. I'm not exaggerating. The only way I could make a basket with all those giants towering over me and hitting me was for me to do a half-court hook shot. I think I might have developed the only half-court hook shot in the junior high. This is how I saved my social standing in Romeo Junior High School. Fast forward back to the Strongsville High School in Cleveland, Ohio. My gym teacher was regularly drunk by eight. Every morning he would stand with his closed cup of Irish whiskey mixed with coffee and pretend to be waking himself up by regularly sipping on it. But he wasn't fooling us. His speech was always slurred, his eyes were bloodshot and half open, and we knew he was bombed. But back then, nobody said anything about teachers like that. They got away with that kind of stuff. My Spanish teacher was a complete cokehead. This guy was completely coked all the time. He was a complete mess. His hands would shake uncontrollably. His face was flushed red. He had these psychotic zealousness in his eyes. He would try to write on the chalkboard, and all that would be there were mad dashes and dots as if he were writing Morse code. It was actually comical. He would leave the room in the middle of a sentence for a minute at a time and then come back sniffing like a madman. He knew he was coked up. At least he could have saved it until after class. He always gave me a B plus or sometimes even a B even though I knew more Spanish than him. I suppose he was jealous and didn't like me. The feeling was mutual. I hated him for what he did to me on my first day of school and for his constant state of cocaine madness. I was bored to tears and always chatted with somebody else. Preferably some friend sitting by me. It was the only way to withstand the daily misery. The clock moved like molasses. I remember looking at the clock once every two minutes and being sure that at least a half an hour was passed, and then to my horror seeing that only two or three minutes had gone by. This is when I learned that if you want time to go by quickly, the best thing you can do is ignore the clock. Staring at the clock only makes time go slower. About nine years later, I was tending bar at a place called Wilbert's Bar and Grill, a club in downtown Cleveland. It was the middle of the day in the summertime, and the place was dead. Two high school girls came in wearing Strongsville High School running jerseys. They asked me for some water since they were doing running training. We didn't get too many people from Strongsville and Wilbert's, so I was kind of excited to talk to them and see how things had changed back at Strongsville High School. I asked them about my Spanish teacher. They said he had gotten fired recently because he was busted for having cocaine at the school. I hate to admit it, but I did get some joy thinking of the justice that had befallen him. Why couldn't they have busted him when I was in school? Sad note, while writing this, I took a few minutes to look up my Spanish teacher on the internet to see what he was up to these days, and I was a bit horrified to see that he passed away in 2007. Suddenly all the disdain I had for him evaporated and I actually felt sorry for him. I read two entries in his obit. Apparently he became very active in AA and was sober. Now that I'm older and wiser, I can understand that he was just a lonely person with a serious drug addiction, and he was taking out his pain on me as an easy target. It caused me great hurt, but is only an outward manifestation of his inward misery. There must have been something in me that reminded him of something he didn't like, and he lashed out at me and took it out on me. Anyway, Rest in peace. I hope things are better for him now. The gym story did not end well either. Years later, those girls at Wilbert's Bar and Grill told me that that teacher also got fired. I don't know where he is today. 
But being older and wiser, I understand that he was also suffering. On a bright note, eventually I made lots of friends in high school. I played in a few bands, and after a few fist fights, nobody picked on me. By 12th grade, I was even somewhat popular. The experience of being taken out of my comfort zone also made me have lifelong skills of knowing I can thrive in just about any environment on my own two feet. It broadened my horizons and opened my mind to different experiences, cultures, and ways of seeing the world. Nowadays, when someone isn't nice, I reflect on the fact that this nastiness is coming from their internal misery, and it's not about the person they're being angry and nasty to. I still don't put up with disrespect, but it does help to have a little less animosity, knowing this nugget of wisdom. I hope my gym teacher was able to kick the habit and find happiness. Not sure if I'll ever know. It's the day the lawyer runs.